Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 20th Century Studios presents Vacation Friends 2. Only on Hulu, Friday. Look at us. All together again. We just wanted to give you guys a real honeymoon. Shots! 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 Why this Friday. He was just released from jail. Where can I get a drink around here? Back on vacation. This place is nice. It's drug lord nice. I'm sorry, drug lord nice? With more baggage. Ever since he showed up, he turned this relaxing vacation into total chaos. Who does that? Vacation Friends 2. Rated R. Streaming only on Hulu. Friday. All right, welcome back to the death lineup. Talking Warriors basketball here on BSPN with my son, Brian. What's going on? Uh, nothing, nothing much. Nothing much. How are you? Good. You, uh, we're going to go into a bunch of Bry's fits today. We have four more to look at. We're going to do shorter segments on them, but. This is like a fun time of the year for you because the NBA draft is in exactly one week. Are you are are you as excited even though the Warriors don't have the highest of picks here? Yeah, I think the NBA draft is definitely like an event that I look forward to um more than most events in the NBA. Like it's definitely something that I was just a fan of being an observer and 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 just seeing what everyone thought and and this year i feel like i've definitely learned a lot more about each individual prospect than i ever have so I, i'm definitely more excited i like it more than free agency i like it more than you know the all-star game <laughs> it's probably my second favorite behind you know the finals or something mm-hmm. uh, we're also going to talk about uh, jordan Poole. there was a piece by anthony slater uh, earlier in the week about his future and then you will also we'll also dig it we'll dig into the non-warriors draft stuff towards the end as well but i guess we got to start with jonathan kaminga who we've talked a ton about this off season and and you know the whole season actually late in the season as well when he wasn't playing in the playoffs so there was a story that came out espn jonathan do you know how to pronounce his last name? Givoni? Givoni. Givoni. Jonathan Givoni. He's a draft guy, isn't he? Yeah. So he said, or he wrote, that the Warriors are exploring the option of acquiring a high draft pick in exchange for Kuminga. Now, if you've heard anything that we've said about the playoffs and the offseason so far, you would probably hear that comment and go, well, that just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. If Kerr's not going to play Kaminga in year two, then why would they go and trade for another 19-year-old and, and start over again? And Kerr's not going to play that kid for uh, you know with his vets. And so on the surface, it sounds kind of like a silly idea, but then you were telling me that you think it could be something more than just trading Kaminga for a pick. What was your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think when I initially saw the report, I just started thinking of like, that. Yeah, it makes no sense of why they would want to go now take another teenager who Kerr's not going to play. Um, then I started putting together a couple of players where it's like, okay, these guys have some upside, but they also probably could play on day one, and I'd be excited if the Warriors took them. And then I see a couple of tweets, and I'm like, darn, why didn't I think of this to begin with? it would making a trade for a top pick could invite an like an additional trade. It could be Kaminga for, you know, Kaminga in 19 for say pick number six and pick number six could be more of an intriguing asset to teams with a player like Pascal Siakam. If they're looking to, if the Raptors are looking to move off of Siakam, the top six pick in this draft might look more intriguing to them than Jonathan Kaminga, who would be due for a rookie extension next season. Whereas if they take someone in the top six, that resets the rookie clock. You know, they have three years before they have to pay that guy big money if the pick turns out. So 
I mean, yeah, if they look to trade Kaminga um, for a top pick, I think I would probably bet that that pick is getting moved as long as Steph Curry is on this roster. <laughs> so do you think some of this now, we've all been watching Steve Kerr's quotes very closely. And you remember, very, what was it last offseason or was it right before the season started where Stephen A. Smith had the comment about Kaminga? About- last offseason. Yeah, and, and at that point, we were like, hmm, that sounds kind of weird. Like, what's going on there? But if you go back to that point and you look at what happened during the season, there's probably some smoke to to that fire, whether or not he was not taking his offseason uh, seriously or whether he was not communicating, whatever it was, whatever it was that caused Stephen A. Smith to make that comment, it does seem like there is a communication gap between the Warriors and Kaminga about what they need from him and about what he wants to be as a player right now. And then you go back, we talked about this already with Kerr's comments about, you know, pick, you know, the Miami heat players and their roles and, and, and how great it is. And, and it's kind of like a, a statement that people can take us to say, Oh, well, maybe the Warriors players don't understand their roles. And, you know, my my whole thing was like, how could they? They're like 20 years old. <laughs> like they've only known how to be the best player on their team. And now you're asking them to take a step back for the sake of winning. That's what you do for. And, and to add to that point, like that's why, you know, like the Aaron Gordon and Andrew Wiggins case, like they were the guys. And then they realized seven years into their career that they're yeah. not the guy. So they need to do the role player thing. It's hard to do that with an 18 or 19 year old who you know, with Kaminga, like they were saying Paul George comparisons, right? Like mm-hmm. this is, <laughs> that's not a, that's not a take a step back player. That's a, I'm going to try to be the best player on the championship team kind of guy, Paul George, you know, earlier in his career in the Pacers days. But, you know, like that's to say that, you know, to try and make these high potential top pick rookies to learn what Andrew Wiggins and Aaron Gordon did eight years into their career versus two days into their career. Just, yeah. Now looking back at it from that perspective that I just thought of, that makes, makes me think about it a little more. What, which if you, if we only had two, um, let, let's say you had two options here. One of them is Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, and maybe it's Patrick Baldwin or whomever young players, Jordan Poole. those guys, Steve Kerr goes, you know what? We really have to look into uh, the future of this team. We have to figure out a way. We're going to take a few more losses and uh, really allow these kids to to grow and, and to play more and to ha- you know play these late, late games. And the Warriors go 44 and 38, and they're six seed again, just like uh, this year. Or the flip side is, is that, you do move some of those guys and maybe you get to a 50 win season, but your entire future is in the hands of sort of, you know, what's going to happen these next two or three years. And then there's like a dramatic fall off. Like, would you rather see the Warriors take the hit now while Steph is in his prime? Or would you rather see them do the 98 Chicago Bulls thing where it just becomes, you know, nothing but young players and, and your stars are all gone. Um, I think, you know, I've definitely backpedaled and changed my opinion multiple times regarding the situation. I was definitely someone who thought the two timeline plan was working when in reality, the win now plan was working in spite of the develop now plan looking back at it. Um, But I think as long as you have Steph, Clay and Draymond on this roster, I think that I think that there needs to be a change in terms of how many young players are on this roster, right? There's who's guaranteed for next year too. It's Rollins, Patrick Baldwin, Jr. Kaminga, Moody, this upcoming draft pick that's five already. And Jordan pool. That's six. That's six players. I feel like Jordan pool maybe doesn't count in this grouping because he's gotten paid the big bucks. He's a solid playoff rotation player up until this past season, I guess it's difficult with different situation with him, but with those guys, they're unproven playoff rotation players. And I think if this postseason has taught me anything, and how I approach the draft really is that how important and how great it is to have a guy who you are confident that can help you in the postseason um, and can be a contributor in the postseason. And the guys on the Warriors roster that you're confident that are, you know, in in uh, under contract 
going into next season is the five starters with Steph, Clay, Dre, Looney, Wiggs, GP2 off the bench, and that's it. You know, mm-hmm. Jordan Poole's, we don't totally know. We think we know. We're not totally sure. Um, but, you know, I just think that as long as Steph, Clay, and Draymond are on this roster, I wouldn't say get rid of everyone, like get rid of everything and, and just do vets. And, and once those guys retire, then you're in a purgatory of 12 years of trying to rebuild or whatever the heck, how long it would be once you have nothing. I think that they should get rid of the high value ones and keep like Moody, like Moody, it feels like he gets it. It feels like if we saw something from the playoffs is that he understands how to be an impact player and how to, how to impact winning. Um, but other than that, like if you could sell high on pool and Kaminga, like I would totally entertain it and, mm-hmm. and try and get, you know, the Siakam that I was talking about, or um, even Siakam doesn't even feel honestly like that realistic, like uh, just, just an, a player with that can fill the, fills the needs, fills the voids that are on this team that you can for sure guarantee is helpful in the playoffs. Yeah, it's, it's hard because it seems like, well, we know for sure. They tanked, they and James Wiseman tanked his value and they took uh, pennies on the dollar of what they could have gotten a a year before had they traded him prior. And it looks like it's kind of happening the same thing with Kaminga. Like when we were talking about last year, you know, deadline stuff, what, what could you get for Kaminga? It seemed like a lot more than maybe what we're hearing this year. And that's also the other thing is you have these assets and the more Steve Kerr talks about them, it's almost like their value just decreases. And it's not like he talks about them like they're the next big thing. And, and maybe some of that is just he's not a marketer. He's not a salesman. You know, he's just a basketball coach. But I do worry that if you do trade Kaminga, you're only getting maybe about 75% of the value that you would have gotten last year. And that sucks because... Now the leverage is not with the Warriors. The leverage is with the other teams knowing that Steve Kerr only, you know, really wants to coach these vets and knowing that Steph and Draymond just really want to play with smart vets. And so in a sense, like if you had one team message, it's like, hey, even if you don't like these kids, like the worse we talk about them and the worse the stuff happens in the media the more their value goes down, which decreases our opportunity to actually get something for them. So let's be Mm -hmm. on the same page here. And that didn't happen. Like you're just, it just seems like these guys, their value is just tanking. Like as the off season goes on. Yeah. I I 100% agree. And it, but it sucks because, you know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm definitely less on Wiseman, but I feel like, you know, after learning a few things this season and, and really, really just, analyzing i guess probably the most i've i've paid attention to the nba season like i can confidently say that i think kaminga has all-star potential you look at what he is like a six seven wing who is a super athletic six seven wing who can play you know borderline almost elite defense at the point of attack who you know shot 37 percent from three but or whatever it was from three that's actually like solid and above expectations but um, and, and the one thing, the one question you have about him is shot creation. But other than that, like, this is a guy who kind of ticks off a lot of like what you want in, in a, in a two-way wing and it, being a two-way wing at six, seven is, is already something that should be super valued across the league. Um, so yeah, if they were to trade Kaminga, you're right. It would be at the bottom of his value as, as since he's gotten drafted, really. I mean. I'm trying to remember, like after the first year, I'm not entirely sure how I remember the value being, but definitely right now, it definitely seems to have dropped. They didn't, he didn't play a minute. He played two minutes maybe in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think it's it's tough because there's a couple routes where it's like, I think, you know, I, we're doing all these bribe fits, but you know, if I had to bet my bottom dollar on it, I don't think we're drafting at 19. Um, I think that, you know, there's a couple routes where, if you were to trade, you know, a few of the young players for an established veteran slash star or whatever, then I think you would want to keep the pick. If the pick didn't already go to the other team, I think you'd want to take the pick, keep the pick and draft upside. I, I feel like there's no one in this draft that, yeah, there's probably a few guys, but there's no one in this draft who I feel like the Warriors should be like super confident about 
plugging into their rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's always the win now, guys. But I just feel like the more and more they go away from upside and start going f- more to uh, like h- helping them win right now, like we're diving into Jacob Evans, Jordan Bell territory. You know, like I think I still think that you sh- you should draft upside uh, and-, and potential over going for another Damian Jones. Um, but I think, yeah, just if, if everything, if, if, if they don't trade any of these young guys and I think the picks got to go, like, I just keep saying, like, you keep thinking about guaranteed roster spots on this team and how many of them are young players. Like, I can't imagine there's six players under the age of 21 who have a spot on this roster going into the next season. Yeah. If you were to bet, if you were to, if someone put a gun to your head and said, Hey, you have to choose. Do you see Kaminga getting moved or do you see him opening up camp on the Warriors next year? I see him opening up camp Me on too. the Warriors. I think so too. I'll be really surprised if they do deal him, but it's, some of that, I will admit, is because of how long they held on to Wiseman because they really believed that he was going to be the guy. And a lot of that has to do with who owns the team and what his feelings are about some of these players. It was he had to he had to admit defeat on that mm-hmm. one, you know, last trade deadline when the Warriors did trade him for uh, Gary Payton oh, or the picks to get Gary Payton. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's talk about another guy. Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole was the center of an article that uh, Anthony Slater wrote for The Athletic earlier in the week. He wrote that. Poole is not being actively shopped. There is no edict to cut salary, and his side has been given no current indication that his future will be elsewhere. But Slater also said that doesn't mean that Poole is safe because really the only person who is safe on this roster is Steph Curry, uh, and everyone else is you know sort of in flux. But, you know, we had been thinking about what do you do with Jordan and could you move Jordan and what kind of player could you get for Jordan? And, you know, especially as this draft is is coming up, you know, Jordan's an attractive piece for maybe a team who doesn't want to draft someone who's 19 years old. Instead, they want to draft the guy who's 22 years old. So what did you think about that piece? And why do you think that that information is sort of out there right now? (laughs) I don't, I don't know because like I, I honestly might, I might tell you that I think Jordan Poole is more likely to get shipped than Kaminga simply because of how much he, how much you have to pay him per year, and because of the punch, and because he's a better, he's better as a starter. But the person who he needs to replace doesn't want to be replaced. Like all these factors, like I just feel like if there's a player that I'd bet on to be gone this offseason, it's not Draymond, it's not Jonathan Kaminga. I would bet on Jordan Poole. So to see that article come out. And like, I don't know if like the timing is is totally that important because we've seen so many things since the offseason started, like already it feels two days in and it's like so many players names are being talked in discussions and quotation marks. But geez, um, but yeah, because yeah, we talked about it and I'm like, I just don't buy it. But at the same time, we don't want to believe that Slater is like, you know, this kind of front office microphone or megaphone. Yeah. And, and it is. You know, Slater's really smart. He's really savvy. He knows he could sense something. I don't think the Warriors themselves would really want to try and use him as a PR person, knowing how savvy he is. So I don't buy that part. But what I wonder is, I wonder if Slater, if the timing of it is because Slater's out there saying, okay, here's what the situation is now. And then if that changes, he could always update the piece and go, well, you know, that's what was told or that's how it was going. Now it has shifted. Now it has changed because you could always pivot if if that's what you're hearing. That's such a large pivot, though, don't you think? Like, it's not like I came away from that article thinking and and honestly, I read it like a week ago or whenever it came out. I'm trying to kind of remember, but it, it did give off the vibe that Jordan Poole was staying even though, you know, he might have said explicitly, like, this doesn't guarantee his safety, yeah. but it did feel like all signs are pointing towards they've resolved something. But, you know, all those things I list to you, it just seems like you can't bring them back at the same time. So, you know, if you go from Jordan Poole's, like the verbiage or the wording makes it sound like Jordan Poole's safe, and then the next piece you put out is just pivoting and literally rewriting everything you said. 
it's kind of a large pivot. But travel. also, <laughs> but also plans can change. Like you, you know, with the, the, isn't it their job to predict that or like to keep us informed and maybe even ahead of that stuff. Yeah. But you remember when Marcus Thompson was on with Kawakami. I don't know. I, did you actually hear that podcast? Yeah. With the A's thing. So Marcus Thompson, they they were talking about how Bob Myers dealt with them and how they could tell when Bob Myers was frustrated with them and he would, how he would disagree with what they wrote. So it's not like, you know, it's not like you can, you know, it's not like they're writing stuff directly that, that, the Warriors are just going to like, like they're saying things that, that maybe aren't the greatest. And so then if that is kind of the case, and that is how Jordan Poole's camp feels, because obviously Slater has a source with Jordan Poole, who is saying that, yeah, like as far as we know, nothing is, nothing has been stated. Then the Warriors see that and they go, oh, well, you know, we do have to change that because there are things going on. And and so the story can change in that way as well. But I, I'm with you. I, I, I think I think uh, Slater is probably on top of it because he's just really good at his job. And he probably does have a, a good sense of what they what both camps are feeling. Uh, but, you know, you do put that caveat in there that says, you know, things can always change or he can always, you know, no one is safe and, and stuff. But um yeah, I mean, I guess, would you be more surprised if Poole was not on this roster next year or Kaminga not on this roster? I'd year? probably, I'd just, I'd probably go with Kaminga and I feel like the majority would probably, I'm no, sorry, I would go with Poole not being on this roster and I feel like the majority would lean Kaminga because it makes more sense. The guy who doesn't make as much money, maybe um, still on a rookie contract, it's probably an easier contract to trade. Um, but yeah, I just think there's so many uh, external factors and internal factors that could lead to Poole not being a warrior over Jonathan Kaminga. The thing yeah. with Kaminga, it is weird though. Like it just feels like there's there's something missing with with Jonathan, and and there's something we don't know because you hear the Stephen A. thing last year, and I remember we were talking about it, and I was telling you, I was like, I see this guy working out every single day. <laughs> like I don't know what the issue is here, and on his Instagram, and um. Then we go to the fast forward to the playoffs and we're unsure as to why he got yanked from the rotation completely when you seem to have such an improve uh, an improvement of a of a second year. Like it looked like he was gonna be a value playoff rotation impact player for that year. Mm-hmm. And he didn't get any run and now we're confused. And and now you're hearing all these reports of maybe them moving off of him. And I continue to see him working out every day. <laughs> like, I, I don't, I don't know what we're missing here. Like we're definitely missing something and I'm wondering who's going to report it or who's going to find out what it is, but you know, maybe it's something along the lines of, and again, I don't know the, uh, the insides of this stuff. Like, I don't know. I know teams ha- don't teams have these trainers and they tell you when you go into the off season, like, this is what we want you to work on. And, you know, I don't know if they then deploy their trainers to go and work out with those guys, whether it's at the facility or somewhere else. But I do know that Kaminga has not stayed in California. Well, didn't he um, give off like four places he's going to be in the offseason? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think he's been in California for an offseason yet. Like, I don't know if he's going to the facility at all. I think he's like he's been in Florida. I know that. Um, I I don't I don't know why I know this, but his um, I believe it's his agent's. Uh, I think they're based out of Florida or it's like his training group is based out of Florida. I follow a kid. His name's Gianni and his older brothers are either Jonathan's trainers or his free or his agents. Mm. And I know that's a, they're like close, like Gianni, this 19 year old and coming this 20 year old, they're like close buddies. And I know that family is from Florida. So, and it looks like that looks to be where Kaminga is right now. So I wonder if it's just like, this guy is like, you know, not working on the things we're telling him to work on and he's refusing help from our guys and he just continues to work with his guys who aren't necessarily helping him on the things that we think he needs help with. Maybe it's something like that. Like that would, if I heard that, I guess I wouldn't be too shocked. But other than that, like I wonder what they could tell me that, you know, just we're not seeing whatsoever. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. 
One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. You know who else is working out on Instagram? Ben Jordan? Simmons. Oh, yeah, yeah, he looks big. <laughs> hey, did you see the report, though? I know you mentioned that Jonathan Givoni did the thing where Warriors are looking to move up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw KOC's mm-hmm. mock draft today. He said they're going to move back. He said, I heard that Jonathan Givoni said they're moving up. I heard they're going to move him back. You can't trust any insider anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I probably trust KOC a little more um, because I know the knock a lot. being on draft Twitter, like they don't like KOC, like they're really? not fans of him, but it's because he's doing the NBA and draft. So like, yeah. he can't, like, if you really think about it, like his draft Intel can, can't be as good because he's covering the NBA full time. And these draft people on Twitter are doing the draft full time. They're watching all these college, you know, the college videos, the OT videos, the G league videos, like KOC can't possibly, like it's impossible to cover that full strength, both of those things. Mm-hmm. And so apparently what people say is that KOC's um, beliefs and his draft, uh, what is, I don't know if it's mentality or draft strategy or, or just his approach to the draft is more based from Intel than it is from his own findings. Because mm-hmm. he has a lot of sources around the league. So if someone sure. tells him, he, I think he was the first guy to be like, yeah, I think Brandon Miller is like number two over Scoot. And I think that's like a pure Intel, like... <laughs> thing from him because no one else had it and then you know then now it seems like it's the regular where uh but yeah i know that koc gets some uh gets some hate i i, I love what K- koc's stuff looks visually the best to me and I, I i appreciate that but yeah i know he gets some slack on draft twitter for uh that uh yeah all right let's talk about some of the uh the other four people that you wanted to add to possible uh People who who could fit. Oh man, look, see what happened here. What happened to Taylor Hendricks? <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> it was so, it, it looked so nice when I did it the first time. Um, so let let's talk about it, it, yeah. Even the 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 main graphic. Come on, man. It, the main graphic looks fine. I don't know why it looks like that on there hmm. on the screen, but anyway. Uh, so let's talk about four more players. Uh, in addition to. The ones who we've already done so far, who have been, uh, the last one we did was uh, Derek Whitehead, uh, Jordan Hawkins, um, Derek Lively the second, and Chris Murray. So all of those clips are on our YouTube channel. We've we've pulled out those discussions, uh, all ranging from about eight to eleven minutes. Um, and so we have four more that we're going to quickly go through. We won't dig as deep on these guys, but why don't you go first from left to right? Um, okay. Left to right. Okay. Uh, Casey Wallace, freshman out of Kentucky, 19 years old. Uh, his splits were 11.7 points per game, 3.7 rebounds per game, 4.3 assists per game. Uh, shooting 44.6% from the field, 34% from three, 75% from the line. Um, just a lot of the things I've I've heard about Kaysen is just that, you know, he's not he's not like the the best uh in terms of just he's he's only a six three guard, but but you know, I think KOC has a mock to like Drew Holiday or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Um I just think that, you know, if the Warriors are looking to move up in this draft class, 
Uh, I don't see them drafting another project like James Wiseman or Jonathan Kaminga. You've got to get a guy who you can guarantee will come and, you know, play day one, but also have upside. That's that, that this is the mold that I'm trying to draft right now from these four guys that are laid out right here. These are guys that can come and potentially play day one, but also still have a type of upside that I'd be okay with if they traded up and still drafted that high. Um, but yeah, Case and Wallace, just a really, really solid point of attack defender, you know, 34% from three, I guess that's not the greatest, but usually draft people will gauge the three point shot by the free throw percentage. If you're a solid free throw percentage and you're a below average three point shooter, they believe that, you know, the three point shot will come eventually because you have the mechanics down for the free throw. So 75% from free throw, I believe 34% from three. Like I think there is a world and where his three point shot gets better, but I'm just more high on what he brings defensively. He makes impact winning plays, you know, a little bit of shot creation off the dribble, but mainly just defense um, and just hard nose point of attack. Uh, a defense and in his, in his latest big board, which was just updated yesterday, KOC had him at number 11. And I guess the, the minus, and we're seeing this a lot is just these guys don't have great handles, man. You, you just got to fix your handles before you get into the league. You can't have that as your minus. Uh, but yeah, number 11. And then the, I think the thing, one of the things that stands out is you mentioned his height. He's only six, two, but his uh six, eight wingspan. Mm-hmm. All right, what about Anthony Black? Um, Anthony Black, I know that the Light Years guys really like him. Uh, just Ar- Arkansas, so same college as Moses Moody. I think he got comped to Lonzo Ball, but the thing is that Anthony Black is main minus, which kind of sucks. He cannot shoot the three-point shot like that well at all. Um, if I could find his... If I could find, you know what just came out today? Sam Vecini's big board, which is like 100-something pages Jeez. of... I know it's ridiculous. And you could just go up here and click on the player. And I just want to splits 12.8 points per game, 5.1 rebounds per game, 3.9 assists per game, shooting 45% from the field, 30% from three and 70.5%. And he does, he, he didn't take very many three point shots as well. Yeah. Low volume. He's low not volume. looking for it. He's a big guard. He can't, he's six foot, six foot five. Um, he, that's what he measured at the combine Two ten. So, Big boy. Um, I think that, you know, just another guy who I just believe that, you know, impact player makes winning plays can run, can, you know, just run an offense. Um, But I think the questions are definitely from three. But the thing is with my kind of take on, on non three point shooters in the NBA, if you want to talk about something that, you know, like how are these kids not, how do they not have a handle? Uh, My bigger question is how do you watch this current NBA and think, and not like try to, everyone should be able to shoot type of thing. Yeah. But if you can't shoot, I think that if you can't shoot and you're a guard or a wing, I think it's important that you are able to handle the ball and be a primary offensive, you know, start the offense. You look at, you know, extreme examples, but John Morant, if John Morant was a wing, you know, and he was like Isaac Okoro or he was Hamadou Diallo, like you, you have to be able to handle the ball if you can't shoot the, if you can't shoot it. And I think that's why, you know, the Thompson twins, both players, both, guys cannot shoot the ball but they can handle the ball and they could you know dive to the rim effectively so i think with with anthony black it's not that he fits that athletic mold but he is able to do some stuff with the ball that doesn't completely hinder him not being able to shoot like he wouldn't just be in a quarter with like a corner like a gp2 and and then be waiting for you know and and then the only reason i think it works with gp2 not being able to shoot is that the guy plays above his size mm. um but yeah another uh, anthony black I'll be honest, he's not a prospect I know all too much about, um, but I just know that the light years guys want him, and I know that, you know, he just, he, he's a, he's a do a lot of the right things guy is what I know. So the comp is, is Lonzo Ball, and I've never seen this guy play, but in reading KOC's write-up, it sounds a little bit like Jason Kidd coming out of college. Now, Jason Kidd was a otherworldly athlete from, from that position because he was so strong and he was so quick but he could not shoot and everything was his ability to finish uh, in traffic. And just cause he's bumping off of guys and he's just so much bigger than everybody. But that's kind of what this reads to me. Um, defensive playmaker who loves to hunt or dig from an off ball position to poke the ball away. And then when you get it, you're instantly in transition and you're the playmaker and you can finish. 
in in so all of a sudden you know just the the transition game just improves and, and becomes really good yeah. and that's something the warriors didn't have right we we know that outside of uh jordan Poole when he would force it uh that wasn't something that came naturally to the current team uh but klc has him as number eight on his big board and, and you know if you listen to the other bry fits we were you were looking at players more closer to where their 19 spot is but with this rumor of you know warriors trying to move up yeah now you are looking at guys in in the range where maybe they could get to who who could fit on the team yeah um and yeah anthony black something i guess i forgot to mention was he's an insane defender he's he that's it works out that he's six foot five six six two ten and can be able to guard guards and and do it effectively at the point of attack like that's extremely impressive um so yeah taylor Hendricks and jairus walker are definitely two i know way more about just because i've watched them a lot more and and taylor Hendricks to me is i don't see him falling past seven on the indiana pacers and i know a lot of people the the hesitancy with taylor Hendricks is that he just doesn't have like this insanely high ceiling um he just profiles as honestly like a three and d versatile defensive type of guy where i think at the peak maybe a little lower than the peak because maybe there is an all-star ceiling there at some point, but I think the peak for him is just being able to guard like two through five, you know, and, and, and being able to, I think he shot like 40% from three, like the, the, the fallback with, with Taylor in relation to a lot of these other guys is that he can't create his own shot. You know, it, it going into the, um, even at his best, like I don't think people would project him to be able to create his own shot. He's honestly just like Jabari Smith Jr. from last year without some of the dribble pull-up stuff that Jabari has showcased this year. He's just a pure 3 and D. I think he's a modern 3 and D wing, whereas there's going to be versatility in his defense just because of his build and the wingspan, you know, should be able to move relatively well. Um, but I think he's going to be the prototypical four uh, yeah, at, in this in this current NBA um, you know, I don't think he's a primary shot blocker, so I don't know if I'd able, if I'd trust him at the small ball five, but that's something that you could try. I think he's more of a help side blocker. Um, but yeah, just going to be a really solid defender really, uh, can stretch the floor. I think that he is someone who would probably be in a playoff rotation for the Warriors if they were to draft him. Like he is, uh, yeah, he's just, he's just, a, he can help right now. And there's, and there's still a little bit of upside, probably just not all-star upside. I think his upside just comes from him being able to start to show that defensive versatility. Cause right now I think he's a little slow in terms of foot speed, but I think his peak is guarding like two through five, which would be really impressive. Like Jaden McDaniels type, but he's more of like the, he's more of like the big, uh, the, the big version of Jaden McDaniels. Whereas Jaden McDaniels is like a wing. Mm-hmm. So you said that he would be in the rotation for the Warriors. What what is the difference between what he brings to the table and what they would get out of Kuminga? Obviously, Kuminga uh, played. Um, you know, he he's spotting up and he's shooting threes. But I mean, on this team, Kuminga would have to play the four more than likely in order to get in the rotation. And he, you know, Hendricks is playing the four and, and and maybe small ball five. So what is the difference between the two players? I think Hendrick's ability to shoot the three as effectively as he does. I think you could play Hendricks, Kaminga and Draymond all together at the same time, because uh, Hendricks, I think his ability to shoot three, like in the Warriors offense, you can make him a small forward. Um, so, but I think defensively, he's definitely not a three, but offensively, just because he's able to shoot the ball 40% from three, like, I think you can play him with some of the non-shooters that typically shouldn't play together. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that that's a good point with Kaminga because they kind of would be playing the same position, but I think if the Warriors don't believe in Kaminga's three ball, um, and, and, and because of that, because of their lack of confidence in coming as three ball that rubs off on the opponent the opponent's giving him too much room to shoot it psychs him out like i think that's not the greatest marriage uh for all of that stuff so i, I think that would be the only difference obviously Kaminga has the way higher upside i'd rather have coming on my team than taylor Hendricks. but if you're talking about you know just being able to help this warriors team taylor Hendricks might be the better fit simply because teams already would fear his three but i mean but theoretically if he's on this roster coming not going to be on this roster because Kaminga would be in the deal to get in the him. deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. And then what about Walker? Jer- Jerris? Jerris Walker. 
He's subtly like my favorite prospect in this draft. Like I can already tell you right now, he'll never be like the best player on a championship team. Some of his questions come from his ability to create his own shot, you know, hitting tough shots from the mid range or just creating his own shot in general. I, I think he, to me, I've said this a few times and there's not like a crazy amount of backing behind it, but he, so Jairus projects as like an insane defender. Like he's mm-hmm. just super versatile, um, can play the small ball five. Like you, you just really trust this guy defensively in the modern NBA of switchability and all that type of stuff. Like he can anchor a defense, um, offensively. I think there's the potential that, you know, you talk about what Draymond is offensively that probably like to us, I get excited about Draymond offensively, but to every other team, they see him as, you know, guy who can't shoot, you know, guy who really dead. Yeah, just his inability to shoot and create his own shot for himself is kind of what pushes a lot of other NBA fans away from ever wanting, you know, him on their team offensively, I guess. But I think with Jairus is that he can stretch the floor from three. I think he, I want to say he shot in the 34 or 35 to like 38% from, from three. Do you have that pulled up right now? 34.7 on almost three attempts. And I think that, yeah, so low volume, but I think that there's, uh, there's been an indicator of like he's improving every single season from his from the three point shot. So if you could promise me that this guy can shoot above league average from three, I think league average is around 33 to 34. So if he could shoot above league average from three, people have to defend it. I think there's an opportunity that he can do that pick and roll with Steph that Draymond does the high pick and roll. He gets the ball. He has to make a decision whether to score it or whether to dish it. Um, to the left corner, to the right corner, to the dunker spot for the cutter. Like, I think he is, he might have that mold offensively in terms of he's a big who has good passing instincts, who is super athletic and can shoot a floater. Like, he, I feel like he could play that role perfectly. And I keep, I think the reason why I like him so much, there's a lot of reasons why I like this guy, but there is just this subtlety that I feel like there's some Draymond potential with him. And Draymond's obviously like my favorite player of all time. So I think that, you know, Jarris just, has the potential i don't think he'll ever be as good as draymond but just the potential to be like the more athletic and being able to shoot threes version of a draymond is is what uh is is what definitely uh motivates or intrigues me about this player and you know i've he's not you know he's not i think i already kind of mentioned this but i think he's just the ultimate like support player and when people are drafting that high in the draft you're looking for a, a franchise changer best player on a championship team victor Wembanyama is going to change a franchise scoot henderson has the potential to be an all nba guy uh brandon miller like maybe you're you're falling off a little bit in terms of upside but you know jaris walker people won't never give him the respect I, because, uh, to be like this top all-star player simply because he's just, I don't think he's going to be like anything crazy offensively, but I just think that he's going to be the support, super support player that you need on your team to win a championship. Uh, second or third best player just completely is the best player on defense, uh, angers the defense that makes all the right plays. Uh, yeah, I, I think that the fit with him would be interesting with the Warriors, but I think it would be super cool, you know, if there was ever a world and where they had all the vets they needed, they didn't need to worry about it, and Draymond could be his vet. Mm-hmm. That would be just a really intriguing scenario to me. All right, I have a couple of questions for you about the top end of the draft. I know you've been following. So, you know, the whole lottery was about the chance to to get women yama uh gonna go to san antonio we've seen great great prospects come in lebron james kevin durant of, of recent memory anthony davis who come in as rookies and they're you know they're pretty close to 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 being all-star players, but they're usually just a level below. And then it's that second year where they, they kind of make that jump. What do you sense Wembenyama's rookie rookie year is going to be like? Because he is such a different player than we've ever seen. I feel like if we, we got to see Chet this year, I would have a better idea about mm-hmm. how you could use him. Uh, is he going to play the five? Is he going to play the four? Are, are teams going to target him and, and try and wear him down because he's really skinny? Like, how how is this going to happen? So I think 
I think there's a couple of prospects that come around. Luka Doncic is one of them where was you Luka draft this star in his first year, second year, I want to okay. say yeah. you draft a player like Luka Doncic and you realize, oh, my God, like, I think we have something that's like absolutely ridiculous. And then you speed up your rebuild and you try to put win now pieces around him in his second year. And then now you're kind of dealing with what feels like you shouldn't have had to deal with with Luka, where it's like, we don't know where this roster's at. Um, I think when when Yama in a good way, like. I think it's impressive that uh, I think he's going to be one of those guys in terms of like, we don't realize we didn't realize how good he was going to be so quickly. We want to go and try to win. Um, I, I think that's, that's the, that's the type that he's going to bring once he enters the league. I think he's going to be that good. Um, and I think that hmm, four or five, that's, that's the intriguing part with Victor Wembanyama. I know Pistons fans were obviously, obviously everyone was hoping for Wembanyama, but they genuinely believed like he could play with Jalen Duran. Just because offensively he's able to stretch the floor, he's able to score at all three levels, and defensively, you know, I guess he could try and make it work. Uh, obviously, I'd, I'd want him just kind of sitting in the paint like Rudy Gobert, um, and and like most shot blocking centers. But I think ah, that's would he play the four or the five? Yeah, like like you said with Chet, like I feel like the main critique about guys with this build is if they're just going to get bodied by powerful bigs who are made who are just going to you know, go right to their chest and score over them. Um, so, yeah, Chet not playing, I guess, doesn't give us the greatest idea. But I would think that, you know, that that's not going to be that big of an issue with Wembenyama um, or really or Chet. I, I think they're both, you know, I think they're both going to be good. Um, but but with Wembenyama, I think that I just think he's going to be like super good where they're going to the Spurs are just going to try to, you know, maybe speed up this little rebuild window. The last five rookies to make the all-star team. Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin in yeah. 2010, 11. His second year. We're, we're talking, well, he, because he was hurt. He, missed he was his hurt first his year. first year. Yeah. So you're talking 13 years ago is the last time this happened. Before that, Yao Ming in 2002. Then Tim Duncan in 1997. Uh, Grant Hill in 1994. And Shaq, nineteen ninety two. Those are your last five rookies who made the All Star team. Paolo kind of had an outside chance this year because of people getting injured and that just not being that strong of an All Star class. But yeah, I, th- I think Wimby could do it, especially in the West. If we're thinking about, he's going to be a front court vote. So it's LeBron, it's Jokic, it's Zion potentially. Well, we don't even know. I think this year, Lowry, Markkinen, Kawhi is def- technically front court. It'd be pretty tough. I mean, but who's to say that, you know, he wouldn't get the votes to, you know, and and I, I, there's a chance. There's definitely a chance. All right. Next question is who's going to? Is it Miller? Is it Scoot? And are, are both teams who are slotted in those spots, are they staying put and taking players? <sighs> it's tough because I think that... I think that Charlotte would be really dumb to move out of the second pick because I think Scoot Henderson is the pick. Um, I think it should be obvious, but it's not. I think people are weary or just hesitant just because of Scoot's size being like 6'2 or 6'3. Obviously, like no matter how good at defense you are, you're always going to be like somewhat of a target unless you're Marcus Smart Davian Mit- Dave- or Davion Mitchell, like even Steph. I feel like he's like a pretty solid, maybe even a little above average defender, but he's always going to get picked on because of his size being that short. Um, and obviously it's not short, but Scoot, I think, is definitely the obvious number two pick here. Uh, we, I mean, you watched that game, right? G League Ignite versus the versus Wimbanyamas. I, I got uh, to watch some of it. I didn't watch the whole thing. He just looked so confident and and uh just in control that game, how he was attacking Wembenyama even like, I think just from that game alone, I was like, that guy's never going to be a not number two in my book. And obviously stuff's going to happen after that. And Brandon Miller is going to play solid. And that's why people are making this decision. But to me, like what scoot was, he came to the G league ignite at the age of 17 impressed a ton of people and then continued to Like, he's just, there hasn't been a drop off for me. So I don't understand where the hesitancy is and like now everyone's like wait now i'm not totally sure who the second pick is okay but can i call you out on what you just said which is how can you come into the league in the nba and not be able to shoot and brandon miller's shooting fits 
what's happening right now more than Scoot's shooting because Brandon Miller almost shot 40% in college from three and Scoot last year shot less than 30% and he didn't really take that many and Brandon mm-hmm. Miller shooting like almost eight threes a game in college. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to what I said that if you're if you're not going to be a solid three-point shooter, which obviously, you know, in today's NBA is not the greatest thing, but like you better be like a Vaja Morant caliber or you better be, you know, the Thompson Twins who are looking to be trying to be of that mold as well. I think that I think that there is I mean, it's the thing is with Scoot is that his three-point shot doesn't even look bad. Like it looks solid. And so usually with that, like I see that and you want to buy into the form. Um, so I think there's a chance he could develop it, but if we're just going to be betting on the fact that he doesn't develop it, obviously you would have to surround him with shooters. Um, and so I, Brandon Miller is the safe pick because he is what you want in today's NBA. He's potential two way wing who is able to get his own bucket. Like to me, like that's a pick that seems like a pick you can't get wrong. Like he's just going to be good. And maybe there's there, that's why GMs, you know, they don't, if they pick wrong, they might lose their job or they, they there's going to be a stain on their career. So Brandon Miller is the, isn't going to be bad. Like I'll guarantee you that like he is not going to be a bad player. There is a world in where scoot maybe isn't good, but I think that when you think about their ceilings, I think scoot Henderson has the potential to be second team all NBA. And I feel like I might even be shooting him low right now. Whereas Brandon Miller, I just think that there is, maybe perennial all-star just consistent all-star for him would be my guess just from seeing both of them play. I just think scoot is dominant and he's confident and, and with the ball and he makes people around him better. And he made a lot of, a lot of what intrigued scouts to him early is how like mature he was playing for his age. You know, like I think some of like the passing he was doing and some of the getting his teammates involved when he could have just easily, you know, took a shot or, or, or tried to put up a contested layup. Like I think stuff like that just kind of sticks out that you're making winning plays and you're going to be like a top scout, a top prospect. Um, I would put a lot of, I'll put, I'd put a lot of my eggs into the scoop basket. I'd put a lot of my, you know, you can revisit this in five years and criticize me um, for saying this. And, you know, I'm still going to put, I'm still confident. Like, all right, they're uh, in KOC's mock draft, which was just updated today. He he wrote that Shams reported on Monday that the Pelicans were pushing to trade for a top pick with the target being Scoot. And then KOC threw out, what if the Hornets could get Brandon Ingram plus 14 and multiple firsts? You could put Ingram next to LaMelo, and then the Hornets would have more draft capital what do you think about that trade it's safe um you know ingram's already an all-star caliber player uh you know obviously you pick up 14 so you still have a pick in this draft and then you pick up multiple picks going forward um the pelicans have so many they have stuff from i think they still have stuff from the lakers trade and then if you remember they traded drew holiday to the bucks and got a ton of firsts from that too that haven't conveyed yet so they have a ton of picks to make it happen i just think that the criticism like obviously you think of brandon ingram and you're like okay all-star caliber player like he's going to be good um you know but when you take a step back and you kind of look at like he's how long he's been good and how I don't want this to be a knock on him, but what's happened, you know, he's been the best player on his team and we haven't really seen any type of intriguing success outside of that one playoff appearance against the Suns, where he looked dominant in that, but they got bounced in five or six. I think it was six or five. Um, So I think if you want to make that trade, you know, it is, it is the safe trade. You build around LaMelo, you build around Brandon Ingram, but I think having the ability to, try and get something and try and put your eggs in the scoot basket and, and it being, you know, you're, you're talking about a potential like insane offensive backcourt. Um, I, I just would still go, I would still go scoot and, you know, doing the, especially if you're, ah, oh, man, <laughs> that is a tough one. Cause I really do like Ingram mm-hmm. and you know how I was talking about, like, I think, you know, how, how important it is for your two best players to be able to initiate your offense. Mm-hmm. 
I guess technically Brandon Ingram and LaMelo would be able to do that. But I was about to say like LaMelo and Scoot would definitely be able to do that. I think LaMelo and Scoot could work because Scoot could be like the offensive, like I'm just going to get buckets and LaMelo. Could LaMelo be doesn't like the... need, always need the basketball either. He, or he, he doesn't always need to score the basketball. He's always exactly. looking to move the basketball. Exactly. I think I just, I don't see a world in where that pairing doesn't work outside of like, they just won't be a great defensive backcourt. And as long as you surround yourself with just these athletic defensive wings, like, I feel like that, that who could probably just shoot a three, like that, I think that would just be such a good solid team down the line. Um, I, I, I think if I had a bet, I think scoots the pick at two, if that, if everything remains the same, if no one trades anything scoots, the pick at two, I think Amen Thompson might be the pick at three, but there's a couple of potential reasons. If the if the Blazers were going to get rid of Damian Lillard, I think that Amen Thompson has more upside than Brandon Miller. And if you're getting rid of Damian Lillard, you know, you might as well take the upside guy. Um, if they keep Damian Lillard, obviously Brandon Miller is the pick there. Guy who's ready to contribute day one, be a solid wing scorer. Um, but yeah, I think I think that the Pacers are in a really good spot. I think that Houston being at four, I don't think they can go wrong with their pick. They're going to have the option between Amen Thompson. Maybe there's an outside chance that it could be Brandon Miller and then uh, and then Cam Whitmore. Like, I think they're in a really good spot, even though their fans are super sad they didn't get Wembenyama. But yeah, sorry. Any more questions? For the yeah, draft? One, one more question here. Uh, it looks like Amen Thompson is the slightly higher projected twin in the draft. Mm-hmm. But if you look at their scoring and their, all their stats, their stats are almost exactly the same. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I, I think like growing up together, like one established himself as the point guard and the other had to play off of the other brother. And so Amon Thompson's the point guard and Osar Thompson is the wing. So Amon Thompson always has the ball in his hands He's for some, like I've been hearing, I can't totally tell the difference besides I just, when I watched Amen, he would just have more highlights at the rim, but Amen's apparently just the slightly better athlete as well. Um, I think the difference between the two twins, obviously Amen point guard, but Asar Thompson, you buy the potential of a three point shot more than you do with Amen. Um, But yeah, very similar in terms of just like these super athlete guys who should be able to, switch one through three at ease defensively and are just going to be like elite scoring at the rim. Um, I would just put more, I would, I would be higher on Amen just because what I keep saying is like, if you can't shoot the three ball, you better be able to, you know, bring the ball up and, and start the offense or else, you know, guys are just going to sag off for you. If you're just going to corner sit and you can't shoot the three ball, like what Isaac Okoro does, like guys are just going to stand 20 feet away from you and not worry about you. And it's a four on five in in that possession whereas if you handle the ball they can't sag off you because you're just going to get a running head start to the rim like what jaw does that's why you can't sag off a jaw really or like De'Aaron fox when De'Aaron fox started hitting threes but w- with jaw when the warriors were playing jaw and they had gp2 on him like, in game one before he got hurt or andrew wiggins or whatever like they weren't sagging off a jaw like you would think to sag off of a non-shooter it's because that guy can get a head start and just get a head of steam to the rim that's that's why i think you need to be able to shoot uh if you can't shoot the ball you have to be able to handle the ball like that and Amen can. I don't. Asar, um, I think pe- people do like his handle and his passing ability, but I mean, we'll 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 see. We'll see. All right? Do you know who KOC has in his latest mock? Yes, I did. Pods. Yeah, Santa Clara. I went and watched him live. So, what do you think? Uh, he, he, to me, he's like a not play style, but just the fact that how tall is he? How how tall six, is he listed? Six at? four. With a six six wingspan, you know how, like a um, like a Bruce Brown, Terrence Mann type, where they are they are these like undersized, you know, like six four, six five, like kind of guard wing ish height, but they mm-hmm. both play like the power forward sometimes, mm-hmm. because like you know that that's how I could see his trajectory going. I went to a game against he played against Pepperdine. It was him versus Maxwell Lewis, who I who I like. That's in this draft. I think he ended up with like 20 something rebounds <laughs> being like six, four or six, five. Like, I think he's, he could, he could be of that mold. Just the guy who plays above his size, plays hard, gets when makes winning plays. But apparently, you know, there's a lot of offensive stuff there. And honestly, I'll be honest. I went and watched that game, all eyes on Maxwell Lewis. I wasn't totally watching him. 
Um, but obviously I saw the stat line after and I was like, are you kidding me? Like that guy <laughs> had, you know, like a 2020 game at six, four. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if uh, I want a guy who's uh, when it comes to what KLC wrote about him, the four positives. Uh, one of them is hustle. I'm not sure that that's a, a great one for Winning me. Plays. It just means that he's not very athletic. <laughs> Did you see Christian Braun, Christian Brown in the finals this year? Yeah, but like still, was- like, it, like we're talking about, you know, guys who who Steve Kerr will not play, and you're telling me that a guy with Steve Kerr will uh, play this guy without a position, a without a position on defense, who's just going to get ISOed, and like you're telling me Steve's going to play that guy. Yeah, yeah, good point. <laughs> at the end Uh of the day at the end of the day like i didn't give any wrecks for like a like if they were to trade out and trade back like this is this was fun but this is going to be so pointless (laughs) when we get to the draft and the warriors aren't drafting we talked about we talked about eight players a variety of you know of of spots in the top 20 and it was was a fun exercise because it also makes you think about you know, so somebody who didn't watch the Warriors, they could look at one of those players and go, oh, you know, I would want that person to play with Steph. And then you go, yeah, but then, you know, Draymond and Steve Kerr don't, you know, don't want him to play because he he doesn't fit this thing. And so th- that's that's what makes the exercise really hard is because you can't just put anybody with the team as, yeah. we've, as we've seen because they've drafted, you know, four or five guys recently who I think a lot, a lot of teams would like, and they, it just hasn't worked out yet on the Warriors. So I think if I had to rank it from, you know, doing those first four, assuming they wouldn't trade out of the 19th pick, like I feel like Derek Lively, ever since he decided to shoot like seven threes in a row, has shot up draft boards. But I think he would probably be my number one. And then Chris Murray would be my number two. And I don't care how you, you know, did it after that. I just. And what's funny is those are the two I started with. Those were the not not in this podcast, but just in general. I was just like, these are the two guys that I think, you know, can get drafted by the Warriors. And that's remained the same. So that was that's kind of fun. But yeah, Chris Murray, I thought I thought that, that was a good one. I mean, just a high um, rota- a rotation player with a little bit of upside just because of he's exactly the same as his brother. And we would love to have his brother on our team. Um but yeah, I'm excited for this draft. Uh, I can't tell you. I can't even. I couldn't give you a bet on what I think is going to happen. So KOC, just just guys that we've talked about. Maxwell Lewis, he has him going 29 to the Pacers. Uh, Whitehead, who we talked about last week, he has him at 28 to the Jazz. Chris Murray, he has at 27 to the Hornets. Um, scrolling up to Jordan Hawkins, he has him going 21 to the Nets. And then I saw Lively, uh, Lively, oh, uh, Wallace, who you just talked about, 16 to the Jazz. uh, And he had Lively at 11 to the Magic. And then Hendricks, 10 to the uh, Mavericks. And wow, he had Taylor falling that far. And then Anthony Black, 6 to the Magic. And Walker, 5th to the Pistons. That, yeah, that's my pick for them is, is Jairus Walker. Uh, well, it'll be yeah. fun. All right. What, uh, do we know what time the draft actually starts next it's week? It's probably like five or six, right? Next Thursday. Yeah. What time? It's So it'll be um, – gosh, I don't even – I can't I can't. It's find next Thursday. Time. I know yeah. that. Yeah, it's, it's this time next week, I'm, I'm guessing. But uh, we'll probably jump on at some point um, – Maybe when they make the selection. Yeah, when the Warriors pick. Maybe we'll come on and, and do a quick recap. Yeah, we're we're going to come in and recap the pick, and then literally, like, as you press end, it's going to be <laughs> the trade noise. The Warriors have traded this pick. But well, we have to go into it knowing that we're going to, yeah. you know, because we're going to hear, we're going to hear from all those guys, Shams and Slater, and they're, they're going to have their ideas. Woj said on the Rosillo pod that he's not going to be announcing the picks live on Twitter. Why? He's going to be on on air. He's going to focus more of on the being on TV, I guess, giving more analysis from that front. I wish Shams did the same thing because it pisses me off when I go in there and forget to mute them and then like see it get broken. 
before I could actually see it. So I know because even if, well, even if you mute them, people are just aren't retweeting them. You like can't crazy. go on Twitter because yeah, everyone's just or not everyone's. It's the fear of missing out. It's FOMO. Yeah. It's, so people are just gonna still you know keep it because they know someone else is gonna do it and spoil it for them. So yeah, you but literally I, just I, can't I go on Twitter. I don't mind it though because then it means I don't have to watch the telecast. I can just, <laughs> I can just watch Twitter and, and keep working. I remember I turned it off with Kaminga and I I just wanted to see it live. Now that, that was my pick because they'd get Kaminga. Um, so yeah, can't give up on them then. All right. So we'll be back after the draft for a quick one. We probably won't, you know, there's, we'll, we'll be able to talk about the Warriors pick and then kind of how the, the early part of the draft happened, unless something happens as well that, that, you know, unless other news, Warriors news comes out, we could have a, a normal episode, but maybe it'll probably be a shorter draft recap. All right. Uh, so that is it from here for Bry. I am Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out. This is BJ Kissel from KC Sports Network. In case you didn't know, the show you are listening to right now, as well as our shows, are a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. It's something we've actually done locally with our network in Kansas City as well. We're all stronger together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised more than $10 million to expand their team, podcast network, and business operations. Now, they are raising another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It's a cool platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be a part of a growing startup. You can invest for as little as $100. In other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. BlueWire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which will in turn help this show continue to grow. If you would like to be a part of the BlueWire investment round or want to find out more information, go to WeFunder.com slash BlueWire. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.